10 Minute Talks. A podcast in which the world's leading professors explain the latest thinking in the humanities and social sciences in just 10 minutes. My talk today asks whether hypermasculine leadership, often associated with right wing populist leaders like Trump in the US, Bolsonaro in Brazil, as well as Boris Johnson in the UK, contributed to less effective policy responses to COVID-19 in the early stages of the pandemic. More specifically, I ask whether hypermasculine leadership traits impacted on pandemic policy choices and ways of communicating with populations. And in particular, did hypermasculine leadership traits contribute to a failure in firstly, the timely implementation of appropriate policy measures, and secondly, in the capacity to communicate new rules to citizens and gain their trust and widespread compliance. And my conclusion is that the reluctance of many hypermasculine leaders to take the pandemic seriously and implement or adhere to social distancing or lockdown measures did contribute to incoherent policymaking and poor and confused communication, which reduced levels of public trust and contributed to high levels of infection and death. So in the English case, Johnson's hypermasculine leadership contributed to an early so-called policy fiasco in which mitigation measures were delayed and poorly implemented at the same time as an institutional and political context undermined by prolonged austerity exacerbated the pandemic's impact. So before I talk more in more detail about COVID, it's useful to say a bit more about what hypermasculine leadership is. And it is not male leaders per se, but it is a particular form of leadership style. And it can be adopted by women leaders too. And hypermasculine leadership is a form of exaggerated and dominant masculinity which is displayed in rhetoric, symbols, and behavior like risk-taking and the use of militaristic language. Hypermasculine leaders do share some common characteristics, but there are also different forms of hypermasculinity. So for example, Trump, Putin, Johnson can all be identified as hypermasculine leaders, but they do exhibit significant differences. So we can contrast Trump, for example, who was dubbed by some of the pornified presidency, with Putin's hypermasculinity, which depends on physical and military prowess, with images of him riding horses, topless, and flying military jet planes. And hypermasculine leadership is also often linked to right-wing populism. Populist leaders often claim to act on behalf of the people against the elite, even if they're part of it themselves. So, for example, Johnson said he would get Brexit done and implement the will of the British people in the face of opposition from the liberal metropolitan elite, using English nationalism and playing on an imperial legacy to make Britain great again. So how have hypermasculine leaders responded to COVID? Well, many hypermasculine leaders initially took on the role of the so-called invincible man, seeing COVID as a battle with winners and losers, that they and their countries would win easily. 
So Bolsonaro famously said COVID was only a little flu, which his athleticism would protect him from. So hyper-masculine leaders initially downplayed the virus. And as a result, they continued with risk-taking behavior, often delaying and undermining the implementation of mitigation measures, particularly around social distancing and mask wearing, which has become very symbolically charged and part of the so-called culture wars. But once they were forced to implement measures, it became a war, the strong man versus the virus. And it's also been suggested that hypermasculine leaders have been more likely to prioritize protecting the economy than protecting the health of their populations. So all these factors contributed to the delayed responses, poor policy choices and poor outcomes in terms of infection rates and death. So how has all this played out in England? In his recent evidence to MPs, Johnson's notorious ex-special advisor, Dominic Cummings, attributed many failings in the UK government's initial pandemic response to what he called groupthink. But not only was the government's response dominated, male-dominated, but one important and I would argue neglected aspect is the role of hyper-masculine leadership. And recognizing the implications of Prime Minister Johnson's hypermasculine leadership style helps us to understand why the lockdowns were delayed in the first and second phases of the pandemic and other mitigation measures like mask wearing were introduced only reluctantly and then undermined by many government ministers. And as a result, England had one of the highest excess mortality rates and one of the largest economic hits of any developed country in the early stages of the pandemic. Now, Boris Johnson's particular form of hypermasculinity is very much an English white elite one. He presents himself as a benign and often comic English eccentric, defying authority with a disdain for rules, often with deliberately tousled hair signifying vivacity, rule breaking and chaos. And it's also displayed in his combination of so-called boosterism, which has been defined as an overconfident and unwarranted talking up, and a libertarian reluctance to circumscribe individuals' behavior. And it results in a political performance that one commentator claims combines constant presumptuous mendacity, deliberate disdain for details, and relentless performative optimism. And for some, it's epitomized by his membership of the notorious Oxford University elite drinking club, the Bullingdon, his serial adultery and consequence free lying. And as a result of his refusal to take the threat of COVID seriously, Johnson initially downplayed the outbreak, claiming on the 3rd of March 2020 that the country's extremely well prepared because of the fantastic NHS fantastic testing system and fantastic surveillance of the disease so that the vast majority of people should be going about our business as usual. Johnson also continued with his risk-taking behaviour, refusing publicly in early March 2020 to adopt social distancing measures, asserting after a visit to a hospital that I am I'm shaking hands continuously. I shook hands with everybody and I continue to shake hands. 
Once the seriousness of the pandemic could no longer be denied, the government used militaristic narratives of the war against COVID. Johnson declared that we must act like any wartime government and do whatever it takes to protect our economy. Yes, this enemy can be deadly, but it is also beatable and we know how to beat it. The Second World War in particular was frequently evoked with talk of the blitz spirit and a call to arms. And a study of male and female leaders' speeches internationally found that Johnson's had the third highest number of military references, just behind two other hyper-masculine populist leaders. This excessive self-confidence, disdain for rules and faith in English exceptionalism translated into a reluctance to implement or adhere to mitigation measures, delaying effective policies to combat COVID. And the disastrous consequences of delaying lockdowns in comparison to other European countries are often highlighted. A leading UK scientist argued that locking down only one week earlier would have halved the first wave's death toll, and the same mistakes were then repeated later in the year. Johnson displayed a similar reluctance in the symbolically charged area of mask wearing. Masks only became mandatory in shops in England on July the 24th, 2020, in contrast to France, where this happened more than a month earlier. And Johnson himself did not appear publicly in well until June, July the 9th, when he made the announcement about mask wearing. And these are not the only early COVID policy failures. The promised world-beating test and trace system run by the private sector was both expensive and ineffective. Johnson's invocation that British manufacturers with no experience should produce ventilators, likened to the production of Spitfires in World War II, which he jokingly dubbed Operation Last Gasp, also came to nothing. And all this occurred amid allegations of cronyism and corruption, as contracts to produce PPE were awarded to close contacts with no experience in the field. But of course, the many failures of the early pandemic response also have to be seen in the context of institutional decline, marked by over-centralization, declining state capacity and outsourcing. Public spending cuts had hollowed out both the local and national state, contributing to a decline, a significant decline in health and welfare provision. The health service lacked capacity and the pandemic planning was revealed to be woefully inadequate. And this was exacerbated by a decade of austerity after the global financial crisis that had significantly increased levels of inequality, leaving many people vulnerable. So hyper-masculine leadership is not the whole story here by any means, but it does help to explain some of the delay and over-optimism that contributed to many of the early COVID policy failures. Thanks for listening to this British Academy podcast. Please subscribe, share and rate this series from wherever you get your podcasts. For more events and conversations, please visit www.thebritishacademy.ac.uk or find and follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.